Well, everybody say deeper faithfulness. So as you know, this entire month, we obviously last week did church a little different, having the barbecue, but this entire month, our focus has been deeper faithfulness. And today, for the final message, I'm not going to be sharing, but we actually have a special guest speaker, Pastor Paul Uke, who is going to be ministering to us. Uh, now, some of, many of you are very familiar with Pastor Paul, but some of you don't know, Pastor Paul and Elaine were the founders of Toronto City Church. And so in 1988, they started as Covenant Christian Church. It ultimately grew to Toronto State Church. And you'll remember a couple weeks ago in my message, I talked to you. We were talking about faithfulness. And I was saying to you, one of the things I love about the intergenerational nature of Toronto City Church is that, you know, there's something about being on fire for God when, when you know, you're younger, when you're early in life. But there's something that's very powerful about serving God over the years and staying faithful over the years. And there's certain things that you learn only by being faithful over the seasons. And there's certain wisdom that you come to understand. And there's things that God shows you. And so I always have an incredible honor for people. And we have so many in our church community who have stood the test of time. And so Pastor Paul and Pastor Elaine are wonderful examples of this. He's got an incredible word. So I want you just to buckle your seatbelts, get your phone, your notepad out, whatever you're going to write down, and, and get ready for a word. But I want you to, why don't we all stand and join me in just giving him a real great welcome. Pastor Paul, you coming to minister the word. Thank you. Thank you so much, everybody. We do appreciate it. Okay. Yep. Thank you so much. We appreciate that. It's a pleasure to be here this morning and share a few things that God is putting freshly in our spirit. Uh, we do believe we are in a very, very important time, and I believe this church is ready for what God is about to do probably more so than we've ever dreamed about, and God wants to refresh it in our spirit. I really believe it. we've been touched this morning in our worship and our praise. I'm so excited about that because when the church is worshiping and praising God because you love him, it's not about putting on a show or trying to be something that someone else is not. It's simply about expressing everything that we have to the Lord. And we've done that this morning. It was so exciting. I, I thank God for the worship team and the choice of songs. That song worthy of it all. I just can't help but weeping when we sing it. It's just amazing when we sing to the Lord uh, because he is worthy of it all. And that's what prepares us for the good things we're about to do. So it is exciting to, to sense what the Lord is doing. We've been sharing some things that I'm going to share with you this morning everywhere that we go. Uh, but it probably has been a lifelong uh, message that God has put into our hearts. And uh, so just pray with us that God will help us as we share with you this morning and believing that God will lead everyone here to the place that he has promised. And he has promised something really big for you beyond anything you could imagine. And we're excited about that today. Amen. And we're in this together. What a team. It's great to have a team working together. Uh, to see this fulfilled. So I'm going to be talking to you about faithful to finish. It's important to start, but it's more important to finish. Jesus was one who finished what he came to do on earth, but he has still not finished what he totally came to do in gathering the harvest to see the great incoming uh, harvest that God is preparing for us in this season. 
Everywhere that we go, we sense that God is saying this over and over and over and over again. The test is not without purpose. There's purpose in the last two and a half years beyond anything we can see. God is preparing us for the harvest, the ingathering that he's going to bring to this place, to this city, to this nation, and to the world. Things are beginning to happen very quickly, and God has it all in control. It doesn't matter what man says or what he does. It doesn't matter where they lose control, and they are in a lot of ways losing control right now. They don't really know what to do. They don't have the answers politically. They don't have the answers financially. They really don't know what to do. But God knows what to do, and he has the whole thing in the palm of his hand, and he's bringing a harvest to the church like we've never seen before. But the church must be prepared, must be ready, must be set, must be in faith, must be expectant, must be filled with joy and anticipation. And that's why we worship the Lord, because there's more than ever before. This is the time for us really to enter into that. And, and so God has something very special for us. So when I talk about faithful to finish, I'm really talking about your place and my place in the harvest. We are about the purpose of seeing people brought to the kingdom of God. God wants to save your family. He wants to save your neighborhood. He wants to save our city. He wants to do marvelous things that we have not seen before. And he is still in line with this, bringing this to pass. But he's wanting to stir us up, like stir us up and cause us to be the people that can really be used for his purpose in this hour. So I'm talking to you about faithful, first of all, maybe in prayer, but then faithful in the harvest to see this brought to pass. Why don't you just reach your hand out toward me as we pray, and we're going to ask God to help us. Father, we ask you to come in a special way and assist us as we endeavor to share your word. We only want to say the things that you want said. We only want to receive the things that come from you and from your heart. We want your purpose fulfilled in our life and in the life of the church. We want your plan to come forth. And so we ask you, Lord, to speak to us from the scriptures. Share with us those things that you want us to know. And may when we leave this place, we will be more excited about what you're doing in us and what you're about to do in others as people are brought to the kingdom of God. Truly in our hearts this morning and our vision, we see the ingathering that's coming from all over the city as people are coming to you. And we thank you for what you're about to do. We give you praise now in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen again. Faithful to finish. I'd like you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Timothy, firstly. 1 Timothy chapter 2 is where we're going to begin as, as I share these things from God's Word. Just before we look at chapter 2, I would like you to look at the last two verses of chapter 1 because this gives us a little bit of insight into why chapter 2 was written the way that it was. It was a certain season when certain things were happening or, could I say, not happening. And we're in a season like that today where we don't see the fulfillment quite yet that we, what we want to see but we still know that God is working in this season and nothing is impossible with him. So it says this, the last two verses of chapter 1. Having faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected, concerning the faith, and they have suffered shipwreck, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I deliver to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. 
This was a period when people were not just not coming to the Lord, but some people who had come to the Lord were actually drifting backward. And the Bible says this was a season when these were taught, caught in a moment of being shipwrecked in their life. There are many, many, many people right now in society who serve the Lord. Many of our children serve the Lord, and they are not serving the Lord. They are living a life away from the Lord. But this is not too hard for God. Nothing is too hard for our God to bring them in his time. Because the one thing we know, he has never left them, nor will he ever forsake them. He is constantly interceding for them to bring them to the kingdom of God. So whomever you're believing for in your life to be born again by the Spirit of God, keep on believing, church. Listen to me. It's important to have faith and trust God for the ingathering. This place is destined for the ingathering. There's a real spirit of belief that God has put through the years into this assembly to trust God for many to come to the kingdom of God. And it doesn't matter what the backward way looks like, how many have drifted away from the truth, God is going to move in spite of it all. And he's going to bring, himself, bring them to himself in an amazing way. So that's the setting in which this scripture was written. Now chapter 2. We've all said when you see the word therefore, ask yourself what it's there for. It's there for something extremely important. That's why we need to consider the word therefore. Therefore, the apostle says, I exhort, first of all, first before anything else, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for, what does it say? All men. How many is that? All men and women. That's talking about mankind. Prayers and giving of thanks supplications and intercessions for all men to come to the kingdom of God. This is God's heart and God's desire, and he loves a church that is raised up with the spirit of intercession. Every person that serves the Lord here must understand that in some way you can intercede for somebody else and be used to see that person brought to the truth. I'm aware of that more today than I ever am in my life because intercession is filling the earth. I was saying in the first service that you can go online now, which I do regularly, and I pray with people from around the world. From every nation of the world, the intercession is taking place for the harvest to be gathered in. And it seems to me like in every prayer time, while they pray for many, thing out, many things other than the harvest, they still see the harvest as being the most important thing to pray for because people are being gathered to the Lord Jesus. That's why we're online today. Many struggled with that. I thank God for the way that you led here, Pastor Brendan, and brought it to pass here so we would understand the importance of the online experience because people are going to be drawn to the Lord in a way like you have never seen before. They tell us that most in society today will not come to a church like this in person until they first check you out online. So they will check you out online to see if you really are what you are. And so it's important that we live the life, walk the life, talk the life, and we demonstrate the glory of God in everything that we do because something is happening. 
Some others will say, well, people are not going to come back to the church in person. I just want to say that I reject that with every ounce of strength that's in my spirit. For we have always been called to be together, to walk together, to live together, to overcome together, to be in love with one another. And so the church will always be united. We are just in a season where God has prepared us for something greater. And the greater thing is about to happen. Listen to me, it will as we trust the Lord together. Let the spirit of faith rise in your heart so you will be what God wants you to be in this hour. This is extremely important that we see this in this scripture. And so it says here we are to pray uh, in verse 2 for kings and all who are in authority. That we may lead a quiet life. Why did that get into the word of God? The reason for that is, is because the most difficult people to pray for are often political leaders. People who are in charge of nations or cities. Often we have a struggle with them because they don't put God first. They don't believe for God to come into society. In fact, in today's world, they're trying to raise up a secular society that has nothing to do with God. But that will never succeed. It will never succeed because God has his hand on the harvest. The harvest will be gathered in. And so God is preparing us to be excited about this. And so God basically says when you're going to think about this and consider the harvest, make sure that you consider those that are in authority and pray for them. Now, I received from a special friend I know. His name is Shindel. I've known him for years, and he established a ministry online where he's regularly praying for all the ministers in government right across the country of Canada. He prays over them regularly and sends it to us to pray with them. I do it as much as I can. There's sometimes I felt, oh my goodness, you know, it's so difficult sometimes to pray for them all the way that they think. But God did something in my spirit to say how important this is because I believe that all men have the opportunity of responding to Jesus Christ. And we need to believe that God will do this in a special way in their lives. And so with all of that, God's been teaching me for years to pray for the prime minister. I have found it hard to pray for the minister. I, prime minister, I confess. It's been difficult in my life to pray for him because I really believe that he has some things in mind that aren't God's purpose. And trying to fulfill something that doesn't come from the heart of God. And so sometimes some of those things are difficult, but I've determined to pray for them to be saved because you can always pray for someone to be saved no matter what you think they've done. It's important that we pray for them to be saved. So God's helped me with that, and I'm doing that. I had one other little problem, though, that God talked to me about. God spoke to me early one morning when he was talking to me about this, and he said, You've done a great job of praying for the prime minister, and that's very important that you pray for all men to be saved because that's the purpose of the church. But I'm not pleased with some of the things that you say, the way that you talk. And uh, God said to me, I want you to stop. I want you to stop some of that terminology. And I said, what is it, Lord, that, that I've been saying? And he said, you call them goof. And there's... I don't do this with everybody in my life, and I wouldn't do it with most people. I say it to my wife every so often. When he says something or does something, I would just say, well, he's a goof. And the Lord spoke to me about that and said, stop. So I had this little discussion with the Lord, you know, 
If you walk closely with the Lord, he lets you discuss some things, but he gets the final say all the time. So I had this little discussion. I said, Lord, it's really difficult to not call somebody a goof who is a goof. I said, that, that, that's something very different. Now, the Lord said, just deal with your heart. So I was, I was there in the presence of the Lord, and some other thoughts came to me from where my, brother, my mother was brought up in New Brunswick. There's a terminology that was pretty, pretty likely. That was the, the term. And so the term came to my mind, and I said, Lord, he pretty likely is a goof. <laughs> and the Lord said, just, just be careful and settle yourself down because I want to do something beyond anything you can imagine as you begin to pray for all people to come to the Lord and carry a spirit for them to know Jesus Christ. God wants that to be established in the church because the church has a great place. No one else can do what the church can do because God has raised up the church to see all this established. So in verse 2, we pray for kings and all in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and reverence. Verse 3, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. So it's good and acceptable in God's eyes and the eyes of Jesus. Look at verse 4. Who desires all men, all men. This is the desire of God Almighty. Who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Some people say, well, what is truth? Well, all we have to do is look in verse 5 and we see what truth is. This is what it says in verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Can you say that with me, everybody? There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. That will never change. That is truth. And the church is called to carry that wherever we go. That's the most important truth that we must hang on to. Verse 6. Who gave himself a ransom for how many? For all. To be testified in due time or to be proven in time. Now I can tell you this morning as I'm standing here that this will be proven. It's important that we understand that God will have this ingathering that we're talking about where people come to the kingdom of God. Look with me in chapter 3 of 1 Timothy, chapter 3, verse 15. This is really important because this really helps you to see what this truth is about. He says this, but if I am delayed, obviously he was planning to come and visit them. So he says, but if I am delayed... I write so that you may know, that you may know, that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. That you may know that, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. So the church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. Or in another way of saying it, the church is the mainstay in society. Because it brings an understanding of God's desire for the world. And God wants to bring people to himself to know Jesus Christ as personal Savior. That's so important for us to see that. I have a, an uncle that was just brought to my attention a while ago. I was ministering last week uh, for services in northern Ontario. 
And this man came up to me and spoke to me, and he said, I knew your uncle very well. His name was Ivan. And I was so amazed because I haven't had anyone talk to me about him. A very wonderful man. He was my dad's older brother. My dad was the second in the family. Ivan was first of seven. They're all passed away now, and every one of them are born again in the kingdom of God. So I give praise to God for that. But he brought to my mind many things about my uncle. My uncle was 92 years of age, very ill in a senior home, when he called and asked for me to come and visit. So I drove from Toronto up to the Ottawa Valley, and I went in to see him in the senior home just before the time for him to pass on into the presence of Jesus. As I went there, he was so emotional and so filled with the love of God. And he said to me, I want you, Paul, to remember to do the most important thing because God has put this so strongly in your spirit. He said, I can see that you have a real heart for the harvest. And you must be careful not to let the harvest slip away from the minds of God's people. Because in the church, we can do many, many things, many other things. But it's easy for us to slip away from the main truth, the first thing, what is most important. And so he said, I'm praying for you and I'm talking to you because I want you to stay true to the main thing. And this moment really brought all of that back to my attention. How important it is the church doesn't lose sight about the fact that we are harvesters. We are called to harvest and believe for people to come to the kingdom of God. When I started to think about his life, all his life he, was a, he, he ran a car dealership. Some of you probably wouldn't remember, but it was Rambo's cars. Uh, uh, am I saying that right? Rambler. It was the Rambler. Did anybody here remember Ramblers? Anyway, he had a dealership of Ramblers. And he was very well known in society. But when he spoke to me that day, he said this. He said, we have a great business and we have people to do everything. People have to wash the floors, clean the place. There's people that do the finances. There's people that fix cars. There's people that do service. There's people that do all kinds of things. But if we don't do the number one thing, it's all ineffective. And I said, well, what is the number one thing? He said, we have to sell cars. So it's important for us to understand that we have to keep the number one thing the number one thing. And so that's what God is saying so clearly right now into the church of Jesus. Not that everything else is not important. All the things we're entering into are so important like our worship, our praise, our prophetic words, all the things that are going on in the kingdom of God. Reaching out into the seven mountains of society, everything is going to bring about the purpose of God. There's going to be something happen in those seven mountains because every kingdom will bow its knee to the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ. But the most important thing for us to understand while we do it all is that we keep the first thing first. And that is to see people brought to Jesus Christ. Jesus wants to save your families. He wants to save your friends. He wants to save your neighborhoods. He wants to bring people to the Lord. What an opportunity we have in Canada. People have come here from the nations of the world. That's what thrills my heart about Toronto. It's amazing. A while ago, some of you know, we moved out into Oshawa. Five years we've been there. And when I first went there, it was traditional Canadians. 
all traditional Canadians, but now it's totally turned around. We have people on our street from the nations of the world, and it's just such a tremendous opportunity that God has given us to be a part of this in-gathering if we would simply believe and say the things we need to say when God says to say it. Because people are being drawn to the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ, even this hour in which we live. Amazing things are happening in this way. I would like you to look with me in a scripture over in Deuteronomy chapter 3. Deuteronomy chapter 3, uh, verse 18. I'm going to speak to you just for a moment here about Manasseh and the half-tribe. This has been something that has confounded theologians for years as to why God in his plan... Uh, didn't take Joseph as one of the uh, members of, of, the, of the family of God in, the, in that day, that he wouldn't be one of the 12 tribes. Really what happened was that his sons, Ephraim, Ephraim and Manasseh, were given that place, and so they had half a tribe that were in the kingdom of God. It's an amazing thing to see it as it, as, as it unfolds, but I believe it always speaks of who Jesus is and gives us a greater understanding of how this would all come to pass. So the scripture that I'm going to talk to you about is really talking about what happened with the half-tribe of Manasseh and what he was called to do while all the promised land was being taken in Israel. So we would know there was much to, more to it than just Israel coming to know the Lord. This is something that's very important for us to see. Manasseh and his half-tribe took the land that were on the east side of the Jordan River. And that was their place where they would reside. They were somewhat excited about all this and they settled in to build their cities and everything that was around them. And God had to speak to them and tell them there was something else that they were to do. I draw your attention to verse 13 though. It tells us here that I gave to the half-tribe of Manasseh all these territories. And then it says in verse 14, Jair, the son of Manasseh, took all this region. It's amazing what one person can do, touched with the presence of God, to do great things on his own. Some of you can be greatly touched of God to touch many for the kingdom of God. Some of you might bring many, many people to the Lord if you knew the anointing and place that's in your life. But we see this here. And when I looked at this in the Bible, it reminded me of our own Pastor Jair. Pastor Jair is a man of God who believes in multitudes coming to the kingdom of God. He was born in that spirit, lives in that spirit, and he's going to overcome in that spirit. I believe that Pastor Brendan and Sharon, too, were brought up in that spirit. I know a little bit about their life, just like my own. I was brought up to believe that multitudes are going to come to the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter what people say or do outside of the church, for God is going to bring people because he loves the world, and people are going to respond to him and know him as Savior. And so we see that right in our own church here. People are living the life, and many people understand this. And I thank God for Pastor Jair and what God has put in his spirit. And I thought about him when this took place, because this was a sign that was given that even while Israel and the lands were taken as a sign of God's purpose to be fulfilled in the earth, there must be land also taken outside of Israel. For, for, for Jair... Manasseh's son was taking this land that was outside of Israel on the east side of the Jordan. But they were instructed, as we see in verse 18, 
Then I command you, it says, at that time, saying, The Lord, your God, has given you this land to possess. All you men of valor shall cross over, armed before your brethren, the children of Israel. But your wives and your little ones and your livestock, and notice what it says here, I know that you have much livestock, or I know the wealth that you have. This is a very interesting scripture uh, that tells us a little bit of how much God knows. God knows everything about everybody. He knows what everybody has. And I've been convinced that we could pay off every church building and support every ministry in the work of God if God's people would just use what's in their hand and they can do it together. We need to see it done here. I was so stirred up in worship this morning, believing in my heart that God wants to fill this place over and over again, that soon you're going to have to have that next auditorium, that next sanctuary to prepare the glory of God, to see people brought into the kingdom of God. It's not about us, it's about them. And we're preparing the way. We're opening the door. The land is sitting right out here beside us. Land is already prepared. All we have to do is do it. You know, God can anoint you. He can anoint one person at one moment and use them to do anything that he needs done. And some of you may receive an idea of what to do, how to see it done to the glory of God. And I believe this is happening very quickly. So God knows it all, and he's going to do it. Amen? As we trust him and believe together in the name of the Lord. Look with me in a scripture over in Romans chapter 11 that helps us understand just a little bit more of that that I'm talking to you about in this great ingathering that God is doing and us being faithful to finish what he has for us. Look at this in verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 1. I say then, has God cast away his people? People were saying that God had cast away the people of Israel because the message was going to some others. I say then, has, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. Everybody say that with me. Certainly not. It's a real good emphasis. For I also am an Israeli of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people, whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he pled with God against Israel? See, he wasn't believing totally for the harvest. He had to learn this in his life. Maybe I should just take a moment and tell you a little bit about that this morning. But Elijah being that great prophet, look what it says. This is what he said. Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altar, and I am the only one left. It's just me, nobody else. And they seek my life. But what, it says in verse 4, but what does the divine response say to him? So here's the divine response. I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed their knee to Baal. And I will use them. God was letting the prophet know that it's not over yet. He was calling for him to be faithful to the end. Because God was going to redeem Israel. But before he redeems all of Israel and bring about his purpose that he wants to do, he wants the message to go to the nations of the world. And so we're living in a time when Gentiles are being brought to the kingdom of God. Amen. It's still happening today. Literally hundreds of people are being born into the kingdom of God in nations of the world. 
And this is what is taking place. Look at verse 11. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fail? Certainly not. But through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. So salvation and the harvest is God's plan. It's everywhere. That's, that's the problem that Elijah had. You see, Elijah had the great miracle on Mount Carmel. You remember that? 450 uh, prophets of Baal stood against him to call for fire to come down upon the altar. So that was 450 to 1. 450 of them stood and they started to call out to their God for fire to come down. Elijah at some point, he was kind of a comedian, and he mocked them to a certain extent and he said, your Baal who is your God is, is obviously meditating or he's busy or he's on a trip taking a vacation or he's sleeping because you're not getting the results that you want. So the Bible actually tells us that they began to cut themselves with, with knives, which was their tradition. And so they cut themselves, and the Bible says to the place where blood gushed out. And so they cut, blood running out, yelling and screaming at their God, and the Bible says there was no voice. Then Elijah came and stood, you remember, and he built the altar the way that it should have been built from the beginning. He put the sacrifice on the altar and piled the wood on the altar. And then he asked for water to be poured on the altar. It was in a time of famine, so this was a great sacrifice. People must have thought he had totally flipped his lid. And so he asked for the water to be poured all over the sacrifice. And when they were finished pouring it on, he said, do it again. So they took the jugs and they poured the second time water all over the altar. And then he said, do it again. Three times they poured water all over the altar. And then Elijah stood before God. And he said, God, I call for you to come down and touch this altar with your fire. So that everyone will, be know, will know that they're being called back to God. This is why we need miracles even today. And we're going to see more miracles of the power of God. And instantly the fire of God fell. Not only consumed the altar, but it consumed all the water that was poured forth all around the altar. When that happened, uh, things began to happen rather quick, quickly, and the prophets of, of Baal were destroyed, and then Jezebel turned against Elijah, if you read the story, in Kings, uh, 1 Kings chapter 19. And, and, and Elijah was being chased by Jezebel because she said she was going to take his life. So Elijah now flees into the wilderness, and he hides. He's all alone in the wilderness. And he's saying, I just want to die. It's been so difficult. I mean, much worse than COVID, a real difficult season. He felt like he was all alone. An angel had to appear to him and help him to eat. And then the angel appeared to him the second time and he ate again and God told him to go to the mountain of God, which is Mount Horeb. And when he went to the mountain of God, he went into a cave. He stayed there for 40 days. And he said, God, it's just me, nobody else. And God wanted to teach him one of the greatest lessons that anyone needs to learn, that it's never just about you. You are not just about you. The purpose that God has created you is to be fruitful in the kingdom of God. So your life will bear fruit to others, and then real joy comes to the church. And Elijah was really learning all of this. So as he stood there in the cave, God 
it wasn't God, but a wind, remember a wind blew in and God wasn't in the wind. Then there was an earthquake and the Bible says God wasn't in the earthquake. Then there was a great fire and God wasn't in the fire. So Elijah goes out and stands at the mouth, mouth of the cave and God appears to him in a still, small voice. And in a still, small voice, he spoke to him just like he's speaking right now in this place. And he said to him, Elijah, you must be faithful to finish what my plan is. For God's plan was for him to go and raise up two kings and a priest. He was to raise up two kings and Elisha. He was to raise up the next generation who would bring about the people of God. And that's what we have to understand where these scriptures came from even in the New Testament. One more I want you to look at with me in Luke chapter 9 because it's really good. I just want to say a few words to you about those two men, uh, disciples, that we all learned to love very much because they were so much like us, James and John. They were so down to earth. Look at this in Luke chapter 9, verse 30 or 53. Uh, it was at a time when people weren't receiving the Lord in the, in the town that they had gone into. They turned against Jesus, so they did not receive him, it says in 53. 54. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, just as Elijah did? Wow. Verse 55, but he turned and rebuked them, and he said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. They had to learn that principle. God is the God of salvation. And he's going to redeem many as we trust him together. Amen. One final scripture before I close is in Luke chapter 13. If you'll turn with me to Luke chapter 13. This is very important to see this in one of the parables that Jesus gave us. It starts like this in chapter 13. There were present at that season some who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifice. Now we all maybe didn't quite know how bad this man Pilate was, but he was. And at this particular time, it tells us in history what really took place with these Galileans as they were, they were in a time of worship that Pilate sent in some undercover soldiers who were dressed in just regular clothes. And they took the lives of all these people while they were in worship. You talk about an amazing thing to have happened. But anyway, that's the story that Jesus begins this about. And Jesus answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the Galileans because they suffered such things? And he, he said, No, they're not. Then I just moved down quickly to verse 6. He also spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit, and, it, and he didn't find any. Then he said to the keeper of the vineyard, Look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? Now, verse 8 is very important. But he, being the keeper of the vineyard, said to him, 
who was the owner, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and I fertilize it. In this story, God is the owner of the vineyard. We are the fig tree because we are the ones that are always planted in his vineyard to bring forth his purpose. God is the owner. We're the fig tree planted in the vineyard. The keeper is actually Jesus who keeps us faithful. He's the one that keeps us in line. And so we see very clearly in this story some very important principles that we need to grab onto. Firstly, whose possession are we? Who do we belong to as people of God? We are His. We've been bought with a price. The price has been paid for, the blood of Jesus. We are a people that belong to Him. We are God's possession. Number two, on whose land do we dwell? We dwell on God's land. The earth and the fullness thereof belongs to God. The cattle on the thousand hills is his. People of this earth don't own it. God owns it. Wealth is in his hand. Actually, they are saying today with the wealth, the problems that governments have made by printing money from nothing, that it's about to ruin our economic systems. And the only way to save it is for it to go back to a gold standard. So the wealth is taken from God's earth. You can't build economies on nothing. And that's the problem that we're facing. So we're God's possession who dwells in his land. The earth belongs to him. Nextly, what is his, his expectation? His expectation is that we would be fruitful. That we would bear fruit for his purpose. To bring people to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are called to be fruitful. Then I ask you this question, what is the Lord's dissatisfaction? And the Lord's dissatisfaction is this. I've been telling you this over and over again. Here in this story, I've been telling you for three years. With us in the church, you might have been telling us for many years. When God has every one of us involved in the purpose of the harvest, we are going to see the great ingathering. He's trying to raise up many to fulfill it. So he says, I've been telling you and telling you and telling you. Now, the thing we don't want to hear, and I think it's important that we hear it in the context, is that he said, well, cut it down. Because I have other people that will be fruitful. But listen to me. Listen to me. It's important to see that in this story, there is the intercessor, Jesus. And he's always interceding for you to fulfill your purpose in God's plan. He's interceding for you this morning. He's wanting you to see this and understand it. He's stirring us up. He's getting us to come alive. He is, he is fertilizing us and preparing us because people are going to come to God. God's kingdom will be built. Jesus is the, <clears throat> the chief intercessor. Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Who is he who condem can condemn us? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us continually. Aren't you glad for the intercession? No matter where we might have failed, the intercessor is building us up. And he's preparing us for the harvest. For the harvest is coming. And we want to be a part of it. In Jesus' name. My wife is a gardener. I call her a real gardener. 
Everybody say, Elaine, you're a real gardener. That's a, she's a real gardener. I'm not a real gardener. I like to garden. I really like to garden, but I like it mostly for exercise. I just like to keep doing things. So uh, I will do it rather quickly. I'll be the person that will take the, the watering hose and just sprinkle water everywhere. When I have to uh, fertilize, you know, I don't measure that faithfully. I just give the thing some fertilizer. But my wife is a real gardener. She's a real gardener. And we had this clematis plant that was uh, really on its last leg. It was ready to go. And I said to her, dig it up. You know, we'll just plant another one. Oh, no, the gardener will never let that happen. That's like Jesus with you. He never lets you go. He will keep you excited until you fulfill your life's dream. It's about his kingdom. And so my wife, she, uh, she really gardens. When she waters, she'll, she'll say to me, don't water the leaves. You have to put the hose right at the bottom, right down by the roots, and make sure you don't touch the leaves because it'll damage the leaves. When she fertilizes, she measures it out perfectly that that plant will have exactly what it needs, if you know what I mean. She does everything perfect. Moves the leaves, all the material, makes sure no insects get on it. She puts insecticide on it and everything. And that old dead plant that I said was dead, she, she fertilized it, built around it, just like Jesus is building you up, building you up, building you up, building you up and making you strong. He'll never let you go. This story didn't end because the intercessor took over. And the intercessor is saying, I will fertilize, I will build them up until the harvest is gathered in. So my wife took care of this clematis. And I want you to see this picture that I have here for you this morning. That's the clematis today. I went out one day and tried to count the blossoms on the clematis. And I would start to count. I got to close to 100, and you know, I just couldn't keep track because there were so many blossoms on the plant. And instantly reminded me of the fact that God said the ingathering will be like the dust of the earth or the stars of the sky. People are coming to the kingdom of God. God is going to save people like never before. And this church is ready, are we not? We're ready to receive and want the ingathering that God wants to bring. Praise the name of Jesus. Let's stand, everybody. Let me pray with you. Can I pray with you that that God will fulfill all of his purposes in us and stir us up in faithfulness to finish what he started in us. Uh, This church has just begun. We're involved in this and we're just simple ones that try to help in the work of God. You know, what is it? What is it about 35 years ago? Was it again or so? 35 years ago. But you know, really what God is wanting to do is just beginning. The ingathering is coming. And it's awesome. And he wants to save those that you're in, in your life and he wants to use you abundantly. Father, I just ask you to reach out your arms of love and compassion. 
And may Jesus be sent in a special way to us as the great intercessor. As he intercedes for us and causes us to know your way so that we will be faithful to finish what has been begun. We ask you, Father, to do a mighty work in each one of us and stir us up with possibilities about those who we can talk to, those who we can touch, those that we can minister to. Help us, O oh God, to be the tools in your hand. And above everything else that we do, may we pray for the harvest to be gathered in. We thank you for this, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Would you turn to somebody, give them a big high five, and say, we can do it in Jesus' name.